Amen. Okay, uh, how about we just start? Amen. Five for time, we want to finish by one. Uh, on the dot, um, <clears throat> um, this little song again, may I uh, <clears throat> sell my own goods here a little? Um, um, took me a long time to write, and um, needless to say, uh, is based on uh, some amount of experience uh, on my part. <clears throat> um, I hope that uh, this song and, of course, the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, um, you would not hurry over it. You know, the word in John chapter 6 on eating the bread of life, the Lord say, He who eats me, he will live because of me. The word eat in Greek means masticate. Now, you know the word masticate. It means chew. You got your molars here, right? So it is a very unhealthy habit to eat without chewing, which a lot of guys do. <laughs> you have indigestion, and it's not good. You know, the doctor says, I read, you know, in, in eating of food, <clears throat> after you put the food in your mouth, you start secreting saliva and all of that. They say that digestion begins in the mouth. I thought it gets in, then it gets digested. No. He said digestion begins in the mouth, the saliva, the chewing down of the things. Digestion starts there. And so it's actually a healthy practice, just ordinarily in eating, to not eat so fast and also to chew your food because it will strengthen the digestion and hence the assimilation of that food. So um, I hope that you will take your time. So um, there are a number of verses. This particular hymn is based on only verse 4 through 8. The chapter is a little longer than that. Take your time to masticate, to chew this word with prayer, with, with a prayerful spirit. Um, you will get a lot, I, I guarantee you. Um, don't hurry, don't, don't eat too fast. And then if you're done, you go back and eat it again. Eat it again, eat it again. Um, the Word of God is living and operative. Amen. It will nourish you, it will enlighten you, it will most likely convict you, expose you, which is a salvation in itself, and it will also supply and encourage you. That's what this chapter did to me. Um, when I pray read it, I feel actually not condemned. Of course, I feel convicted, but I feel super encouraged uh, by, by this word. <clears throat> so please do that. And the other assignment of coming together with the sisters. You know, if the Lord leads you, sisters, you come together in the principle like a vital group, right? I don't want to call it that, but twos and threes, four and five, whatever. 
you would uh, do that and um, um, and the Lord may lead you even not just to study and you know go through this this outline and we have some reading material back here ministry material but the Lord may even lead you to pray Amen. for one another's marriage nothing wrong with that for the marriage of your church your local church um, for even the churches in your area of people that you know who is not in the area uh, in other places so I, I uh, hope that you can uh, take this to heart sisters now um, <clears throat> let's come to C now um, well, before we come to see, okay. <laughs> uh, or, or as I come to see, um, that says marriage is a symbol of union between Christ and the church. Uh, this morning I just checked a little bit um, and I came upon a little website, you know, <clears throat> where. They listed 36 verses, scripture, uh, from the Old and from the New Testament concerning the marriage between God and his people. The marriage, the standard marriage, is actually between God and man. All our marriages, at best, are a a picture uh, of that Uh, universal marriage and then uh, you will see uh, the prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah and of course the God's own word Jehovah's own words in a book like Exodus you know he likened again and again consistently God likened his saving or redeeming his elect you know the Israel people out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness and the 40 years right in the wilderness with a view to going into the good land as a what as a marriage process very consistently different different prophets but very consistently so um, um, I don't have it in in my uh, uh, in the Recovery Version Bible. You know, in um, in Ezekiel sixteen, he said, Jehovah said, "I passed by you and saw you." This is Israel, and and behold, you were at the time for love. See, God is not in some cold dealing with his people judging them and doing this and leading them and guiding them yes all that happened but behind all of this in God's eyes ultimately it's a love story not just a love story it's a marriage story he said I spread my skirt over you and cover your nakedness and I also swore to you that you would enter into covenant and swore to you and enter into a covenant with you so that you can become mine 
God is not interested with a date. There was not a date. God's intention is to marry. But there needs to be a courtship, there needs to be his drawing by the courts of man and the band of bands of love. That is the means. He must use love to draw his people. But the purpose, I say again, is marriage. Do you know that when Jehovah took the Israel people out of Israel, out of Egypt, to Mount Sinai, and there, that's where he gave them the law, right? And um, he made covenant with them. That Brother Lee in the ministry told us that covenant between God and Israel is actually the marriage papers. It's not just a covenant, okay, promise, I will do this and I will swear. Of course, apparently that's what it was. But deep in God's heart, he's getting married. And he wants to put it on paper. And that paper is called his covenant. Today you have weddings, the, 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 the groom says this and the bride says that. You know, that's, that's not that trustworthy, right? I think by the time they have the reception, they broke their oath already uh, to one another. <clears throat> but not God. Actually, God withstood time again the treachery and the unfaithfulness and the forsaking of his people of himself to go after the idols. Again and again, even after they enter into the good land, and God would have terminated, divorced, God would have divorced and terminated that marriage more than once. But you know what? God never divorced. That's why the Bible is so strong about no divorce. Because it reflects God. You know what Brother Lee told us one time when he was expounding Matthew on this matter of marriage? You know the Lord's own word, his so-called Sermon on the Mount. You know the Sermon on the Mount, actually the Lord, and then later on the apostles follow suit. To actually give, to 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 actually allow a reason for divorce. The reason is adultery. Okay, so if there is unfaithfulness and adultery, you are free. You are released. The other party. Yes, and then later on, Moses, you know, the Lord talking to people, and the Lord quoted Moses as saying that he. Moses had a commandment. That is a supplementary thing. That's not the main law. That's supplementary. That allowed divorce. Or the word is really release. Allow release of one party. And, 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 and the Lord quoted Moses as saying, this is due to the hardness of your heart. The hardness of your heart. In the beginning, it was not so. Now you ask, you, you, you ask what is the beginning? I'll tell you, the beginning is not even Adam and Eve. The beginning is God and his people. It was not so. So it says, what God has yoked together, let no man separate. You have no right to separate a marriage of God's 
ordination. So, Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord, the Apostles are so strong concerning this marriage. This morning, I don't want to present this matter as a law, as a legal matter, because there are certain extremely serious situations in marriage that might require the dissolution of a marriage because it is sometimes criminal, sometimes exceedingly serious situations. But those are not the norm, although it is more commonplace today. I'm talking about the common general situation. Brother Lee said this. He said, yes, there is allowance, there is condition that would allow a divorce. But he said, even if there is that condition, you have to have the grace to rescue the marriage. Now I'm paraphrasing. You get the heart here? You get my point here? Even there is a right to divorce based on the word. You have the right. But he said, even you have that, that you have that right, you should not so just quickly do it. Uh, I say this as a few words at the beginning here because today uh, the recovery is not small anymore and the influence of the world is among us for sure. That divorce is no longer uncommon, even in the Lord's recovery. We have... Uh, Long time ago in the recovery, you know, 50 years ago, whatever, among us is rather unheard of. Um, But we're small in number, but it was unheard of. Today, my goodness, uh, breakups happen like soon after marriage. Um, And um, all kinds of other things. Um, I'm not preaching here, okay? Please don't think I'm preaching here merely against divorce. I'd like to approach this this morning just a little bit from God's viewpoint. Now I'm not talking about purpose, but I'm talking still about purpose. Because God has such a purpose to gain the man, to gain Israel, that he will even suffer their unfaithfulness repeated unfaithfulness God would not give up just just think about just think about he had every right to divorce the Israel in fact he told Moses I'm going to wipe out all of them forget them I'm going to raise up your descendants Moses and have a new start God said that but Moses you know what Moses knew what's really in God so Moses became the attorney and spoke actually for God. He said, God, if you do this, you'll become a laughing stock to the nations. You did all these wonders to save your people. Now you're going to drop them off like that. You'll be the laughing stock. Moses really, really quite an attorney, quite an advocate for the Israel. So much so that God changed his mind. It says God repented. So God said, okay. The marriage papers is signed. I'll stay in this marriage. 
Oh, you think your marriage is hard? Think about God's marriage with you. My, the disobedience, the heartaches that we give to God, the headaches we give to God on a daily basis. But He still has not given you up. He's still loving us with an everlasting love. He still, it says in some place, remember the betrothal of the youth, of Israel's youth. Because by then, Israel is kind of an old woman, you know? But he said, I remember the betrothal of the youth in the wilderness when I first bear you up on eagle's wings and took you into the wilderness. I just want to give you God's heart a little bit right now. Let's look at our marriage. Dear sisters, not all of our marriages are perfect. Most of ours is not. There are challenges, there are difficulties, there are adversities, there are all kinds of things. Offenses, how about that? Um, but if you really see God's view, you will not only merely tolerate, you understand, just endure it. But marriage requires endurance. Everyone who's, who's married for a long time, I just talked to a sister, next year will be her 54th anniversary. I said, I'm behind you. Next year, 2020, is my 45th. It requires endurance. It requires endurance. And for sure, your spouse is not perfect, neither are you. And that's why we'll get into it. We need to live Christ and take Christ. Again, listen, not so that we can just have harmony and happiness again. Or they say, old wine is the best kind of thing but really really touch God's purpose and now I say feed on his love oh perfect love this love will allow us to love some that are unlovely anymore namely your hubby Um, it's another kind of love. I hope that as we mature in our marriage, the older saints, we will discover a new kind of love. And that is God's love. In our love, in the way we care for our husbands and wives. There's a lot here. I just stop here. Let me go on. So marriage is a symbol. We all know this, by the way. This is nothing new. Of union between Christ and the church. Adam typifies God in Christ as the real universal husband who is seeking a wife for himself. Adam's need for a wife typifies and portrays God's need. God has a need. So he made man in his image to have a need, to reflect his need. 
in his economy to have a wife as his counterpart, his complement. Literally, it means his parallel. His parallel. Two, God desires to have both Adam, typifying Christ, and Eve, typifying the church. His purpose is to let them have dominion. It is to have a victorious Christ plus a victorious church. God wants Christ and the church to have dominion. I am not going to talk about that. You know all these things. Number three, we need to live the life of a God-man in our married life. Now, this is a big one. I say this is the challenge in our marriages today. We know about God-man living. We prophesy about this. We... We can talk about these things. But, dear sisters, this morning I'm talking to you. How about living such a God-man life in your marriage? I thought, as you get older, you know, you just kind of get used to each other and, you know... I found out that is not the case. My, I found out some marriages, even at their 60th anniversary, they're still fighting dogs and cats. With a vengeance, you know. So it's not automatic. I like to say, to live Christ is purposeful. You don't drift into a life of living Christ. Neither do you just drift into a pleasant marriage. It's intentional. Once you see the God's purpose, however, you have that intention within you. Then you take grace. You take the Lord to live in a different way. We can all be kind and nice to other people except our spouse, right? You all know how it goes. So familiar, so just, you just say anything you want, do anything you want. You don't treat them like that fancy glass vase. You know, you kick each other around. So easy to do. So easy to do, and not what live a God man. Why? I mean, this is a devil man. I don't even want to be a God man. Let him be a God man. Then I'll try to be a God woman, right? Oh. Okay, A. We need to have a God man living in our married life in order to have a God man living in the church. Otherwise, you know what it is? We're hypocrites. We come to the meeting, oh my, this God-man brother, that God-man sister. Actually, you have not seen them in the bedroom. Brotherly say, the body life starts in the bedroom. The church life starts in the home. Our spirituality starts in our marriage. In the meeting, we all can put on a show, can perform a little bit. But in your daily life and relationships. That's where the reality shows. If a husband and a wife are not vital at home in their married life, 
They have no way to be vital in the meeting. We need to live Christ at home with our husband or wife and even with our children. Do we do that? The Lord speaks to me. Do you do that with my wife? Even you can bring her flowers, you can do this and that. But what she really wants is not just flowers. What she needs is a God-man husband that would take care of her. Um, Same with a wife. You know, what the husband needs is not, and Brother Lee said many times, for you to cook them a good meal and so forth, although that is greatly appreciated. But it's your tender care of your husband who can be burdened down and laden with many burdens. Um, The compassion, the tenderness, the kindness between husband and wives. When that fire, fiery romance is not so much present and you couldn't quite cook it up. I tell you, another source, another kind of love has to come in to replace that. That is more real, more permanent, And that's 1 Corinthians 13. Don't make God man living so high, so super. It is in how you speak. We speak to one another as husband and wives. How we forgive one another as husband and wives. How we bear one another as husbands and wives. The words we use, don't think the words just doesn't mean anything. You have to read the chapter on words or speech by Watchman Nee. You see how powerful words can be. Words can raise a nation and cause a nation, an empire to fall. Words can build a marriage or destroy it. Just words. Careless words. Attitudes. Attitudes. No words, but the attitude that is there. You know, it's not big thing that eventually ruin a marriage. They tell us it's the small things in aggregate over time that breaks the camel's back. Despise not the day of small things. Take care of the small things. Live Christ in the small things with your husband and wife. Because we are short of the God-man living, we need a real revival to be God-men who live a life of always 
denying ourselves and being crucified to live Christ for the expression of God. We all know these words. We all know these words too well. But how often do we deny ourselves in front of our spouse? Um, You know, to deny yourself, the flip side is to take care of the other one. That's the flip side. And we're all selfish and by our, by our fallen in our fallen human nature, <clears throat> um, so Brother Lee said, "It's easy for you to be nice to other people's husbands, but not yours, or wives, but not yours. It is the test. It is a constant test." <clears throat> You know, here I'll say something. You know, Brother Ni and Brother Lee each had written something concerning how to be married. Do you know that? Brother Ni had one, and Brother Lee had one. And at a certain point, you know, Brother Lee, among us, years ago, he was really, really down on that. Even he wrote it. He wrote it. He was down on that. He said, those are just laws. We need the spirit, not that kind of. You know, they put it on the in the bedroom, whatever, right? But the more I go on in my marriage, the more I found the wisdom in the law. Quote, quote, the law. I find it this way: whether those things are the law or not, just like the Old Testament commandments. Whether it's just a legal law for you to fulfill, the problem is not the law. The problem is the way you handle the law. So we have a number of marvelous messages in Exodus about how to handle the law as is something in the day and not in the night. Do you remember that? You better go and read it. So Bradley got into Psalms 119 to tell us how the law becomes so sweet like honey to David or to whoever the psalmists were. It depends how you handle it. So these words of wisdom from our brothers, it depends. I find it if we're in the spirit with a proper heart, those words are very, very handy. You know, one little thing, let me tell you. Always, never, never forget to say thank you to your old man, you know, your old husband. I mean, you got so used to each other. Don't forget to say thank you. And when you did something wrong, don't forget to say sorry. Honey, sorry. I apologize. It's in those things. Yeah. Maybe we should revive them. But don't take it as law. What's my point? Actually, those are two pictures of a God-man husband and God-man wives. That's what it is.
marriage, the constant need is to deny yourself and put the other person first. So easy for us to lapse and just live in a self-centered way, myself included. So often the expression is really not the Lord, but, but you and me. Our disposition, our natural tendencies, our habits, all just is not the Lord. In order to have the gunman living, we need to live and walk according to the mingled spirit. We all know this. A very important area in which to walk according to our spirit is our married life. If we can live according to our spirit in our married life, a great many difficulties will disappear. I believe this. A lot of suffering in our marriage, we brought it on by ourselves. Actually, they are not necessary. We already have enough problems. You don't need to add more. But because of your lack of care, or our lack of care, to live the Lord and take care of the situation in our marriage, we add we let difficulties pile upon difficulties. And after a while, it's just too much weight to bear. Too much weight to bear. Our marriage, I come back to happiness, okay? Our marriage should be happy. Amen? Amen? I'm not here preaching asceticism. You know, go back and deny yourself. You know, bear the cross. Although... Brother Nee and Brother Lee talk about bearing the cross in marriage. No, no. I'm talking about if we really practice intentionally to live the Lord and to live Christ, our marriage should be more pleasant, more happy, more sweet. It should be. in spite of our differences and, you know, rubbing and you know what I mean, certain conflicts. Um, We can avoid deterioration in our relationship. Don't, don't, Don't think, oh, it's not up to me, I can't do it. It's up to God's mercy. Uh, Don't say, yeah, it's up to God's mercy. But don't say it until you try your best first, okay? Then you say God's mercy. Now, I'm not here to promote marriage strategies, okay? I'm not a marriage counselor. I have no license. Uh, I have no strategies to give to you. I have no pointers to give to you. I'm just speaking, number one, from the Word of God. And number two, based on my limited experience, and thirdly, my observation of other experiences and in serving the Lord, there are just too many marital situations that come under our care. And so you learn. Even though you're not the principal, you learn a lot. Because we're all the same, after all. And so, don't, this morning I would even like to say, don't resign 
Don't give up on your marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, love hopes all things. Love believes all things. That means hope against hope. I live on a cul-de-sac. The street name is Hope. The cul-de-sac, that's the end. So I tell people I live at the end of hope. (laughs) You know, that house with the white picket fence, you'll find me there at the end of hope. But the end of hope is the beginning of Christ. Amen? Amen? The beginning of God. This is very, very real, dear sisters. Soon, the husband will find a wife in transformation. And the wife will also find a husband in transformation. And so transformation becomes a reality among us. Not just a kind of a, you know, some kind of a term and wishful thinking. Four. Now let's talk about two cases for our encouragement. Isaac's marriage was not common nor merely for his human living. It was for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. You know Isaac, son of Abraham? And, no, uh, yeah. And, uh, he had a need at a certain point. And so this uh, servant of his, Eliezer, am I right? Uh, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, you know, took him back to his the land where he came from, and then that's where he found um, his wife. <clears throat> There's a wonderful story there. But according to that picture of Isaac, his marriage, a wonderful, simple marriage, is not merely for his human living, for Isaac's human living. It was, but not merely. It was for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Purpose again. A, God's eternal purpose is to express himself in a corporate way. In order to have this corporate expression, God must have a people. This people is the seed of Abraham. So Abraham must had Isaac. But Isaac must have seeds, seeds, so that what? Eventually, it will go all the way to Christ as the real seed of Abraham and the seed of David for God's purpose on the earth. So Isaac needs to be married not just because he had a need. Isaac needs to be married to continue this Lineage that will result in the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> Isaac's marriage was not simply that a single man might have a happy, comfortable life. Without marriage, Isaac could not have brought forth the seed. If this single man was to have the seed for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, he had to get married. Do you see this? 
it's a little clinical sounding I know but do you see the purpose here we need to rise to this purpose in our marriage my marriage has a purpose it's to meet my need for sure it's more for my happiness for sure but it is also for me to bring forth seeds to replenish the earth see this is a quote this very good quote we long to see that all marriages in the churches will be for the fulfillment of God's purpose every single marriage you know I married a lot of people I shouldn't say I married them nobody can marry anybody except God God put people together remember that that justice of the peace is just signing a piece of paper and the brother who is officiating the marriage he's not marrying you he's just witnessing something before man only God can marry people only God can marry people so sisters by the way today there's a need for more burden to shepherd our young generation in the matter of marriage very much we need more seasoned experienced sisters to do that but I have a big but you have to be very very careful so that you are not putting people together but you can say God is you are just Eliezer you're playing the role but you can say by prayer by fellowship it is God who is putting these two together young brothers oh sorry this kind of marriage requires a daily living in oneness with God you say yeah the purpose is there I'm clear my marriage is for God's purpose but that's just a word you said that purpose requires something there's a requirement that means every day you live to that purpose so your daily living would be in oneness with God I say again sisters take care of your marriage for God's purpose live in oneness with the Lord in your marriage life even in the small details and even pray for your marriage pray for your husband your children of course and pray very much that your marriage would not merely survive so to speak but that your marriage would contribute to God's purpose now a word to the young brothers young sisters if everything you do is in accordance with God's economy even your marriage will be the carrying out of God his economy you need to say Lord what I'm doing here today must be in accordance with your economy I'm single now but one day I will be married may my marriage be for your economy this is the main point of Genesis 24 Isaac's story I recall I started to pray for my marriage at age 17 
That's my first year of college. And that's the year that I had moved to this country to attend university. I was not in the church life, um, so I had time in my hands as a freshman, you know, in college. I loved the Lord. I was consecrated. But I was very serious in this matter, so I would frequently pray to the Lord in a way of a consecration. I would not say an oath, but I would say a serious consecration for my future, for my service to the Lord, for my career, and for my marriage. I said, Lord, I want to know from you, do you want me to get married? Even whether. And I said, who? It's in your hands. When? It's in your hands. How? It's in your hands. If it is to be. Some years later, every single prayer of mine were answered to the T. And that convinced me, that convinced me, God takes this very seriously. By personal experience. Personal experience. We cannot treat young brothers and sisters, young sisters, you're not married, but it's not when you get married, it's now. We actually need to inculcate this honor and respect and esteem of marriage for God's purpose in our own children when they're young. And we need to instill this in our young people in the church life. Not when they are maritable age, but when they are young. They're not too young in their puberty, in their adolescence, to be infused with such a kind of attitude. So from growing up, when they're small, they honor this matter. They take it very seriously. They pray about it. Indeed, marriage next to human birth is the most important experience. Next to your birth, the other thing that is most important is our marriage. Okay, five. We need to be deeply impressed with the best marriage in the Bible. Burley calls it the best. The model marriage of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth. You know, Boaz is a descendant of that prostitute. Uh, What's her name? Rahab. He's a descendant, a grandson or something like that, of of that. And you all read, you know, study uh, the Lord's genealogy. There are like four main uh, bad women, so to speak. Four, I think so. 
Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation or exposition of the Lord's genealogy. How he used the, God would use the sinners uh, to bring forth his son to this earth to fulfill his purpose. Very, very touching. Okay, so you got here, one of them is Ruth, right? You know Ruth is a Moabitess? I mean, they are really bad. They are not allowed into the God's sanctuary for, I don't know, generations. They're cursed people. Moabitess. That's Ruth. But you all know Ruth's story. I don't need to tell it. But here we're not just talking about Ruth, but eventually how Ruth came together with Boaz. And Naomi play a big part. But it's a godly Naomi, not just some matchmaking, you know, thing. It's a godly um, mother-in-law. Okay, A, the marriage of Boaz and Ruth may be considered the best marriage recorded in the Bible. So study that. Study how they came together. How study each one of them. Study the book of Ruth. The particular striking point in the marriage of Boaz and Ruth is not anything concerning their living or career, but something concerning an excellent matter that is to be one part of the lineage to bring Jesus Christ into humanity. You know, Boaz was a rich man among the Israelites. Uh, he, he's probably today you would say he's, he's a very, very successful businessman and very reputable, very um, 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 a man of great integrity and renown in Israel. Such a man got interested in this widowed Moabitess. You know, that's a very sweet story there. Uh, but neither their career, neither even their living is the strongest point about these two. It's their marriage. It's their marriage which helped to bring Jesus Christ into humanity. Saints, what should our marriage our marriage in a proper situation should bring Christ into humanity starting with our own children to be saved Amen. and then our homes to be opened To bring many, many people to the Lord. And by that, we bring more Christ into the earth and into humanity. This is what our marriage is for. So that our homes would be used by God. The church life. And as a couple, married couple, we can be partners shepherding partners 
of young people, of new ones, of gospel friends, and so on. That our home, our household, would be like Aquila and Prisca. That is useful to the church life. And I'm not saying I'm that successful. There are many more, much more successful than me. But in a small way, I think my wife and I could testify together that from the get-go, we both have that shared consecration to the Lord, that our marriage, home life, children, our family, and our possessions, our household, is for nothing but the church and the Lord's recovery. And I must testify, in spite of our weaknesses and failures, the Lord answered those requests. Um, I don't know how many people we have shepherded uh, over the course of these 40-some years. Um, Even before the full-time training with these trainees, you know, Uh, just over time and of course we're very very gratified today to see so many that we have shepherded decades ago today are co-workers co-workers in the Lord's recovery elders in the Lord's recovery so gratifying in a small way we brought Christ to humanity right Um, now uh, sisters this is not too much to uh, aspire for aspire for because this is what God had wanted God had intended that our marriage uh, should be for his purpose okay see the last point through their participating in the lineage to bring forth Christ God could accomplish his eternal economy by having an organic body for Christ which will consummate in the new Jerusalem as the center of the new heaven and new earth to be God's divine expansion in humanity for his eternal expression in his divine glory. So I think that is it. Now uh, I also uh, like to say one word and that is dear saints the church life is a family. We're, we're in a big family with older saints, younger saints, kiddies, all, all kinds. Brothers, sisters. One big family. So the family should really care for each other. Amen. That's, how, that's a, what a normal family does. And so um, I would like to speak to the older saints older sisters I also like to speak to the younger sisters to the older sisters uh, I would like to say in this matter of marriage on the one hand we cannot because we got we married so long we we know the ropes you know we should not do this every day we should 
refresh our marriage. I don't mean you need to go to Maui and do the sunset thing, right? I'm not saying that. But you know what I'm saying. When you have a view about this, even with this kind of fellowship, that should be a renewed burden. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me and my husband together. And thank you for keeping us for all these decades and years. But Lord, we're not done yet. We're still living. Your purpose is still being fulfilled. Lord, even in these twilight years or in these golden years, better word, Lord, let this marriage be fresh, be refreshed. Let this marriage continue to ascend, ascend. That means go higher. And also let this marriage be deepened. For our joy, for our needs, but even the more, Lord, for your use, for your purpose. But besides doing that, older sisters, as the Lord would apportion to us, as the Lord would lead, we do need more older sisters the right kind, the right ones, to really be burdened for the younger ones. The younger sisters, and I will even say the younger brothers. And amongst other things, you know, they're they're living, their future, their human life, you know, many things to take care of uh, besides the spiritual in the church life. We would, you would become a pattern to them in your own marriage. <clears throat> then you would acquire a burden for them. Some the Lord has placed you sovereignly around you, in, in your midst or next to you. Just, just the Lord, the Lord just um, did that. And you would not just live a life cloistered and enclosed and kind of ingrown you would pick up more burden for the younger generation the younger sisters who are not married younger brothers who are not married younger couples who are married but need support and need some guidance and needless to say when there are difficulties that you would be there to pray and to shepherd them. There's a great need of this. As the recovery grows, we need more saints. You cannot count on the elders to do it. Sometimes when the things reaches the elders, it's too late. You, you follow me? You are there amongst the saints. You know. You know, so for the love of God and the love of the saints and the love of his church, the church, you would, I hope, some and even many of you would pick up this burden. Our capacities are different, our experiences vary. So we should not go beyond what we should do. Sometimes we're too much uh, and we always have to be in the spirit we always have to be in fellowship so that we're balanced. Am I right? We don't just, just uh, 
give them some nutty ideas, you know, and cause more problems. Now the younger saints, the younger sisters, I would like to have a word for you that you would look for fellowship. Don't be so self-sufficient. Young, and I remember when I was young, pre-marriage, how much I benefit from opening up to the senior saints. How much help I received. No one wants to tell their story, expose themselves, I understand that. But I tell you, in a proper kind of a way, you don't know how much pain and suffering you may avoid by getting the right fellowship from, from some experienced ones. In Malachi 4, Jehovah said, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. That is the statutes and the ordinances. I'm about to send Elijah the prophet to you before the great and terrible day of Jehovah comes. That's the great tribulation. And it says, And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. Well, I'm not expounding this. There's something of God's way, and I would even say God's blessing, for fathers who turn their heart to their children, and for children who would turn their heart to their fathers. This is good. This is good. To have a kind of separation, to have a kind of breakage, to have a kind of uh, disconnect between the older generation and young generation is simply not good. Even in our human families. Even in our human families. The wisdom from the older and covering from the older saints. Right? The energy and the going forward of the young. They put them together. This is a great, great blessing. So... Young, I would like to encourage the young sisters in the matter of marriage and other things, seek out the older sisters. Turn your heart to them. I'll give you another verse. This verse is in Titus, the book of Titus. Chapter 2, I believe. I don't have it here. It says, uh, I'm going to I'm going to read it to you here because it is an important concept. It says, it talks to the older women. Now, now, Paul is talking to Titus to charge the older women. This is a word for older sisters. Okay? That they would, you know... Uh, be not slanders and not te- be teachers of what is good. And listen to this. That they may train. The word is train. The, 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 the Greek word means what? It means to cause someone to be sobered up. Be sound in their mind. To be sensical. 
You know, we have this word called common sense. To develop certain kind of prudence in a person. That's all included in this, in the meaning of this word train. So that they may train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be of a sober mind, pure, workers at home, good, subject to their own husbands, that the word of God would not be blasphemed. The younger men likewise exhort to be of a sober mind. So that's to talk about the young men. I mean, Paul devoted economically three verses just on this matter of older sisters training the younger sisters how to be married and how to take care of their children, how to be domestic, workers at home, how even to be subject to their own husbands, showing that these things are not automatic, especially in the age that we're in today. In fact, this is the antithesis to what is promoted, what is just surrounding us. Subject to your own husbands, are you crazy? Are you from the Stone Age or something? Subject to your own husbands. Etc., etc. Workers at home, are you crazy? This is a two income, three income age. Equality. Break the glass ceiling. Love your husbands. What? They don't even love you. You tell them to love them? Etc. You see, I'm maybe too much here, but dear sisters, there's something about in our family for the older sisters to care for the young ones. Now, I think this is about it that I have to share today. Um, Are you okay? You know, I'm sometimes a little harsh, I'm a little direct, and could be a little offensive. So I beg your forgiveness. I, I still have to remind myself, sister, I got to show a little tenderness. I got to be some TLC, you know. And, and so sometimes I'm short in that way, so you forgive me. But I hope the, this sharing this morning has been helpful to you. This is not for tomorrow. This is for the church life until the Lord comes. And how I like to see all the churches, there would be a rise in standard, in uh, the solidity, uh, in the normality, uh, in in marriages. And then we'll talk about the families. so that his purpose can be fulfilled among us. Amen? Amen. You know, some brothers asked me yesterday whether there's Q&A or Q&R, whatever you call it. I've got four minutes. So I, I think I can entertain one or two questions. Right? Don't throw me any curveballs, okay?
right? Just if if you have any, if you don't, that is fine. We can just spend some time to pray. Yes, yes. He said. He said. She said. Um, uh, question is: Will you come back for message two? Yes. Yes. Because you know I need to make up for my failure to finish. So. One more question. That's one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I have a little hearing problem, so... um, Even you, can you hear? Um, Could you please come up? No, 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 seriously, please come up, because I'll give you this microphone so everyone can hear hi yes my question was um, so in the message you're referring to older sisters and their function and portion and younger sisters and their function and portion so my question is at what point would we consider ourselves older and what can we point where we consider ourselves younger? Because we could be in between and not really know where we fit. I'm going to cheat on this one. It's all relative. Let me tell you. Okay, okay. Let me, I, I have my point. You know, I have two daughters and married, four grandkids, all that. And... You know, I was thinking at one time that when they're married, you know, not just left the house, they got married and all that, done, you know, done. They're on their own, you know, it's time for me to enjoy my life, you know. No. No. Not that I'm nosy and trying to pry into their lives. I mean, they're adults, they're married. I don't mean that. But I mean the care. And the shepherding, and the need, their need for me, and my wife, right? Probably it will continue until we die. And I think about my parents, who are now in their 90s, both of them. I mean, I'm not a young man, right? But I find that they're still my parents, and there's still wisdom imparted. There's still the love for me as an old man, right? So I would say, this is endless. So when is old, really old, (laughs) when is young not young anymore, I would like to tell you it is truly relative. Now, I I get you. Uh, You know, uh, by young, okay, let me just put it this way. I have a particular burden at this point in time for the millennial generation. So I'm talking about those young ones that are in their late 20s, mid to late 20s, 30s, and even 40s. That's my burden. 
because this, that generation is soon o- going to overtake the first and become the core of the churches. It's happening already, right now, in front of our eyes. Take a, give it a few more years, that change will be complete. So I'm so burdened that they would have a more successful experience than some of us did. Shouldn't that be the case? That they will be more solid, they will be educated, they will have proper God-ordained marriages for God's purpose in the recovery. But there's a generation following them that's coming up very quickly. It's called Generation Z. And right now, the college people in college are all Generation Z. Millennials are over. They're, they're, they're out of college. They're in the workplace. They're... But the millennials today are getting married and starting families. Their oldest kids, the millennials' oldest kids today are in their teens. You know what? You follow me? And they are very challenged in this new economy that we're in, the whole world situation, all the bad stuff that is going on. I don't need to tell you. Even in good old conservative Texas. Am I right? Terrible, terrible things. Unbelievable things. So, how to help them navigate? How to help them um, go on? Um, Still require a lot of uh, uh, shepherding care. All right? Last thing I'll leave you with this just this point. I told you not to give up hope. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. Um, No matter how bad our experiences have been, uh, how short we we are, how much failures, I really like to say a word from my heart. Don't give up. You give up, you're giving up. You're giving up on God. Um, pray and trust in the Lord. Amen. And tell Him from a pure heart, Lord, this is not even just about my marriage. This is about Your purpose. Amen. And give Him the ground. Amen. Right? Amen. I'll stop here. How about? Have a little prayer with your neighbor and we have an announcement. I say, not just have hope. Not just have hope. Have faith. Amen. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is about three things. Love, faith, and hope. hope. The greatest is love. love. Yeah. But you cannot give up hope and faith. It will make that love perfect. Amen. So never give up hope and never give up your faith in the Lord. Amen. Amen.